Hello, welcome to the Grow Your Wealthy Mindset Podcast, where it is all about helping amazing physicians just like you create a wealthy life free from burnout and with the financial security to practice medicine on your own terms. I'm your host, Dr. Elisa Zhang. Hello, hello, and welcome back. Today, I'm going to talk about the cost associated with investing because cost matters when it comes to investing. Every dollar paid in fees, expenses, and commissions is one less dollar that's actually being invested. Over the course of your lifetime, these expenses can lead to a decrease in your returns on the order of millions of dollars. Even a small difference in an expense ratio can cost you a lot of money in the long run. Consider a $1 million portfolio, which is invested and giving you 7.1% returns. If it's invested in index funds, at a 0.1% expense ratio, then after three years, that $1 million will now be worth $7,612,255.04. If the expense ratio goes up to 0.5%, then the value of that portfolio decreases to $6,614,366.16. That's almost a million dollar difference in that portfolio, just from the expense ratio going from 0.1% 2.5%. You may say, well, of course, 30 years is a long time. But consider this. If you retire at age 60 and live to age 90, then that small difference in the expense ratio is the difference of how much less money you're going to have. Then consider higher expense ratios. If you had a 1% expense ratio, then now that portfolio of $1 million will only become $5.7 million. With a 1.5% expense ratio, it goes down to $5 million, and with 2%, down to $4.3 million. Consider that 2% expenses would be like a financial advisor who's charging a 1% assets under management fee or AUM fee, and then if they're putting you in mutual funds with an expense ratio of 1%. So that 1% asset under management fee plus the 1% of the expense ratio for the mutual funds, that's now a 2% expense ratio. That financial advisor is essentially costing you over $3 million. Now, let's say you have a financial advisor who doesn't really pay attention to fees. So now you have 3% of overall fees. Now your portfolio is only worth $3.2 million, which is less than half the value than if you had just used low-cost index funds. And here I used an expense ratio of 0.1%. There are actually index funds with even smaller expense ratios. I hope that got your attention now. Many investors do not consider all the costs associated with investing. There are the costs that the individual investor pays, like advisory fees and trading fees, but there are also other costs that are more indirect. This could include brokerage commissions, legal fees, marketing expenses, security processing expenses, and transaction costs. With every mutual fund, including index funds, there is a prospectus that lists the fees for that fund. The SEC requires the fee and expense ratio to be in the prospectus for every mutual fund. There are also fees associated with the account that holds your investments. Some 401k plans have hefty fees, which can also significantly impact the performance of your retirement portfolio. You can find those fees in the 408B2 fee disclosure. Let's go over some of the fees that are associated with mutual funds. You may have a sales charge on purchases, which is also called a load fee, and this can be front-ended or back-ended. Front-ended sales commissions, or loads, get charged when you purchase shares. The load reduces the amount of money actually invested. 
So if an investor puts in $10,000 towards the mutual fund that has a 5% front-end sales load, then only $9,500 is actually available and invested in that mutual fund. Deferred sales charges are back-ended loads. There is something called a contingent deferred sales load, or CDSL. The total amount of the loan paid by the investor will depend on how long the investor holds his or her shares. If the investor holds his shares for long enough, the CDSL charges will typically decrease to zero. These funds often also have a 12B-1 fee. The deferred sales charge may be assessed on either the original purchase value or the value of the fund shares at redemption, or when you sell the shares. Both front-ended and back-ended sales load fees are avoidable. There are many mutual funds that do not have load fees. Usually, mutual funds that have a load fee are being sold to you by some mutual fund salesperson who's calling themselves a financial advisor. No loan mutual funds do not have sales charges, but all funds have expenses. Purchase fees are sometimes charged to a new shareholder to help defray the costs associated with a fund purchase. Purchase fees can be paid directly into the fund for the benefit of long-term shareholders. Exchange fees are charged when a shareholder exchanges from one fund to another within the same group of funds. Account fees are charged for maintenance of an account. It may be linked to a minimum value of account. So if you have at least a certain value in your account, you may not be charged a maintenance fee. But if your account value falls below that minimum, then you may get charged some kind of monthly or annual maintenance fee. Redemption fees is a fee that charges shareholders when they sell or redeem their shares. These fees discourage market timers and people jumping in and out of the fund. Redemption fees are paid directly to the fund and not to the broker. Management fees are paid from the fund to the fund's investment advisor. This does not include purchase fees, exchange fees, low balance fees, or redemption fees. 12B-1 fees are paid out of the fund's assets to cover distribution costs and sometimes shareholder service expenses. These fees may hide a salesperson deferred sales commission, like we talked about with the back-ended load fee. The SEC allows funds with a 12B-1 fee of less than 0.25% to call themselves a no-load fund. Other expenses include custodial expenses, legal expenses, accounting expenses, transfer agent expenses, and other administrative expenses. Management 12B-1 fees and other expenses make up the fund's total annual fund operating expenses, which is expressed as a percentage of the fund's average net assets. Then there are actually fees that are not covered in the prospectus. There can be some hidden transaction costs. A mutual fund incurs a fee every time someone actually buys or sells a security. Transaction costs include brokerage commissions, bid offer spreads, and market impact costs. The more turnover in a fund, the higher the transaction costs. The average brokerage commission cost for mutual fund managers is around 0.38%. Every time a security is bought or sold, there is a hidden spread that is the difference between the market maker bid and ask spread. The average annual spread between the bid and ask prices was 0.34% in 2004 when I could find data for it. Compare this to only 0.06% for index funds. Turnover refers to the amount of buying and selling activity that's done by the fund manager in a given year. If there's a turnover of 100%, that indicates that the manager 
bought and sold the average stock in the mutual fund every 12 months. Turnover includes the cost of brokerage commissions, spreads, market impact costs, management costs, and generally taxes as well. Funds with a lower turnover cost tend to have a higher return than similar funds with a higher turnover because of all these costs. Index funds tend to have very low turnover because it's really just buying all the securities on that index and holding them. Exchange-traded funds, or ETFs, charge an expense ratio to shareholders to cover total annual operating expenses. The ETF expense ratio is expressed as a percentage of the fund's average net assets and can include various operational costs such as administrative, compliance, distribution, management, marketing, shareholder services, record-keeping fees, and other costs. The ETF expense ratio, which is calculated annually and disclosed in the fund's perspective and shareholder reports, directly reduces the fund's returns to the shareholders, and therefore the value of your investment. The prospective gross expense ratio is the percentage of fund assets used to pay for operating expenses for running the fund, which includes all the management fees, the 12B-1 fees, administration fees, and all other asset-based costs incurred by the fund, except for brokerage costs. Administrative fees include the cost of things like record-keeping, mailing to prospectus, customer service, and even website maintenance. The prospective net expense ratio is the percentage of fund assets to pay for operating costs, but also includes any reimbursements and waivers. So if a fund has a 2% gross expense ratio and a 1% net expense ratio, this indicates that there's actually 1% of the fund's assets that are being used to waive fees or reimburse expenses. This may occur for new mutual funds in order to have them help attract investors to buy into the fund. Think of it like a retailer who's offering a promotion when they open a store. Generally, there'll be a promotional period, which will end at some point, and it will revert to the gross expense ratio. Smaller funds tend to have larger expense ratios, since it is more expensive to manage the fund for the amount of assets when it's smaller. Since they are more expensive to manage for the amount of assets they have. If the fund grows its assets under management by getting more and more investors to buy into the fund, the fund can actually become less expensive to manage, which lowers the expense ratio. If there's a large difference between the gross and net expense ratio, this can indicate a higher expense later on, since eventually the reimbursements and waivers will disappear. Over the past two decades, fund expenses have trended significantly lower, which has been good for investors. Fidelity offers a zero expense ratio index funds. When I looked at the prospectus, it actually says that both the gross and net expense ratio listed is 0%, which means that Fidelity, the company, must be covering the operating costs for these funds and not taking the costs incurred by these funds from the fund's assets. The average expense ratio for all of Vanguard's ETFs is currently 0.06%, according to their website. When looking at funds and costs, it's important to compare funds that own similar types of investments. For example, international funds are typically more expensive to operate compared to domestic funds because they invest in many countries, and they may even have staff all over the world, which equates to higher research expenses and all that payroll. While it's reasonable to compare expense ratios across multiple international funds, it may not make sense to compare the cost of an international fund against a domestic fund. In this case, I'm really talking about actively managed funds as well. So that's a lot about the cost of investing in index funds or mutual funds. But real estate investing also has high costs 
So let's talk a little bit about the costs associated with real estate investing. Real estate investing has high costs associated with every transaction. There are closing costs every time you buy and sell, which is typically around 3% of the sales price. There's also a cost for the title check, title transfer, and if you're purchasing, title insurance. There's even a cost for paying and receiving money through wire transfers. If you're getting a loan or property, there's the cost associated with getting the loan. This includes appraisal costs, credit check costs, any points you may pay to lower the interest rate, as well as charges from the mortgage lender. Whenever you have an accepted offer on a property, you're likely going to be paying for some inspection, if not multiple inspections. Then there's the cost to the realtor, the broker, or if you're buying the piece of real estate through a wholesaler, all of these have costs. Typically, whoever's selling the property is paying for the real estate agent representing both the buyer and the seller. And of course, with real estate, there's also holding costs. That includes cost of utilities, the mortgage, insurance, any maintenance, landscaping, as well as property taxes. With landscaping, you want to consider mowing the grass, taking care of any gardens, trimming any trees, and even fall leaf cleanup or snow removal, depending on the location of the property. I mentioned property taxes already, but there's also potentially capital gains taxes. And if you want to avoid capital gains taxes by doing a 1031 exchange, there's the cost of having a qualified intermediary. I think you get the idea about how many costs there are with real estate investing. Early on in real estate investing, you may find yourself paying a lot doing inspections on accepted offers, but may not end up buying a property due to the findings on those inspections and that the seller was not willing to negotiate to make the purchase a good deal. But you will learn a lot with each inspection, and that inspection could potentially have saved you a lot of money by preventing you from buying a bad deal. It is possible that you can eliminate some of these costs. With real estate, you may be able to pass on some of these costs to your tenants, like the cost of utilities or the cost of landscaping. If you are in commercial real estate, there are a lot of costs that actually can be passed down to the tenants if you do something called a triple net lease. The important thing with real estate is you always want to have positive cash flow at the end of the day, which means that your income has to be greater than all of your expenses and costs. By knowing the costs associated with real estate investing, you're in a better position of evaluating a potential real estate investment purchase and ensuring you have positive cash flow. The real take-home point here is to be aware of the cost you're paying and understand what the true cost is to you when it comes to your return on investment. Everyone you work with when it comes to managing your money and your investments is somehow getting paid for their service. You want to pay a fair price for the value each person you work with provides you, just like you want to get paid a fair price for the value you bring to others. I know that was a rather dense episode, and thank you for making it to the end. I hope you're getting lots of value out of listening to the Grow Your Wealthy Mindset podcast. Thank you so much for your time, and thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, I would love it if you could share it with your friends and colleagues. And now for the disclaimer. I am not a certified financial planner, accountant, or attorney, and nothing I say should be construed as professional investment, tax, or legal advice. This show is primarily for your education and entertainment. I am a physician, but I'm probably not your physician. So if you need any medical advice, please contact your own physician. Thank you.